Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We are in our brand new year of 2020, which yeah. is super exciting. Um, and I, we want you to know, like very authentically, we're recording still in 2019. And the reason I bring this up is because you've already bought tickets for some of our shows in August. Yeah. And that just blows us away. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like we wake up to these emails of tickets mm-hmm. being sold and it's just so exciting every time. It is. It, it just blows our minds to think that you guys um, are that excited to come to the events when the weather is actually nice and warm. Mm-hmm. Like our December event is tomorrow. I know. For us in real time. I know. (laughs) And we're selling for April and August. It's fantastic. Thank you. A million thank yous. Um, This, this, can I just add? Yeah. That there are people still calling right now, today, with the event tomorrow for our December 2019 event, looking for tickets for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to say to them, our, our groupies, if I can say that, our followers are already buying tickets for 2020. You got to get on board if you'd like to come and see us. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much. Cool. Um, okay, so back to show notes. We have yeah. our Evening with Medium events coming up in 2020. Um, and you've got April 24th, August 28th, and December 4th as your options. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've said, tickets are on sale at the website, by sarlo.com. They're the only place that we're selling tickets. So you yes. don't need to contact us directly. Just go through the website. They are e-tickets now, which is yes. fantastic because a lot of people um, had been asking us how come they didn't receive tickets prior to now. And that was because your your purchase or your receipt was the ticket itself. Now we're actually set up, thanks to our new developers, um, that you get an e-ticket right away, which is fantastic. So you don't need to worry about a thing. Just keep your email. So thank you to Dave and Jade Nyber from Nine Lives. Yes. Yeah, because they, they've set up a whole new system for us. Mm-hmm. I, it was cute. I was reading one of the receipts today, and it said, an evening with the mediums. You snuck in an extra... Word? Yeah, and I heard you cursing at him. <laughs> it just reminded me of when they were trying to name Facebook, and it was called The Facebook. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Dave will laugh about that. You're up. Okay. We have a second podcast show. Um, usually, I just rhyme something off really fast about uh, Sips of Sanity and tell you exactly where to find it and say that it is 10-minute um, shows, roughly. Um, there are five in a, in a group. And they're about emotional and spiritual intelligence. But I'm going to pause just for an extra minute today and say, based on our date today, December 12th, 2019, I think more than ever, it's super important for people to listen to those shows and share them with somebody. If you're, if you're thinking, well, what's, what's December 12th? Well, this is, this is a huge day in the American government which affects the whole world. And we are seeing people with no emotional intelligence. Well, we're seeing psychopaths. We're seeing narcissists. We're seeing gaslighting. We're seeing a tremendous amount of abuse. And so I'm saying to you today, I hope that you can find 10 minutes and think that it actually is valuable for you to educate yourself because we educate ourselves about sports stats and what hockey teams are doing. And that's all good. That's all great. I don't want you to stop that, but I'm encouraging you and asking you to listen to a show and to share it with somebody so that we grow so that as a, as a whole society, we can be aware of what's being done 
And we won't, we won't truly understand anything unless we understand emotional and spiritual intelligence. So those shows are found, um, the first show is found on the website, bysarlo.com, mm-hmm. and the remainder of the shows are found on patreon.com, which is our membership portal um, that you can sign mm-hmm. up for under any tier. If you're signing up in the light roast tier or higher, then you've got full access to all of the Sips of Sanity episodes and all of the video podcasts um, for Coffee with the Sarlos. So if you're just tuning in and listening today and that piques your interest, um, it's a very nominal fee. Um, But again, if it works for you and you want to continue, great. And if you don't, you can always cancel uh, your subscription. Mm -hmm. It's a very friendly system to get in and out of. You're Mm -hmm. not locked into anything. You can pop out um, and maybe you have an extra couple of bucks again, a different month or another year and you can pop back in again. That's why we picked it. It's tremendously useful. Good. Okay. Okay, and then last but not least, we have our personal sessions and gift certificates available. So you Mm -hmm. can contact us directly um, at either of our phone numbers or our emails, um, or you can send it to the general one, uh, info at bysarlo.com, to request a gift certificate or a personal session. Those can be done anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, telephone, or Zoom. Uh, You do not need to be here in person, although we are consistently flattered by the people who say they would prefer to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, People come early just to sit on our couch and feel (laughs) relaxed, which I... Mm -hmm. I get and I think is fantastic that people um, are utilizing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay. Now yeah. You've got, thank God, you've got some fun, calm stories because I just woke up. <laughs> well, <laughs> literally. Well, let's put it this way I, I'm going to call today's show Friendship because I name the shows. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to say that I have a theme on friendships. Okay. <laughs> okay. I better watch what I say. <laughs> okay. And I have four stories cool. in four different sessions um, where people, whether they came in person or whether it was by Skype or FaceTime or Zoom, um, I don't know that any of them did it by telephone where would they just put me on speakerphone, but that's possible as well. Um I, so I don't remember the. It's m- an interesting piece of information. Yeah, that they that you would feel the need to share if they put you on speakerphone or not. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to get right. I'm just going to bypass that. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that comment. <laughs> She's cranky. <laughs> yeah. okay. And I'm going to start with the first story. Okay. So a mom and daughter. Oh. This one I know came in in person. Um, this was back in the summer. So these people came in, and uh, Kelly, I'm, I don't have names for them. So have you we have, never do. Someone's going to be called Mary. <laughs> okay. Mary and Georgina. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. We'll go with that. Um, we'll say Mary's the mother. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, so the, the, a mom and daughter came in to ask what their soul contract was, which mm-hmm. I thought was super cool. Just for two people to think, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's make an appointment. Just like let's go to the movies or let's go out for supper. Like I just thought that was fabulous yeah. that two, these people sat down and, and I found out after the session was over that they are listeners of the shows mm-hmm. and heard about soul contracts and had been following the shows and sat together one day and said, geez, why don't we go find out what ours is? And so they had waited a while and then finally the time was right when they both could come 
and do it. And they made their appointment to come in and ask the question. I think that's really bold. I, I wanted to say that because, mm-hmm. you know, you're comparing it to kind of like a date, right? And um, and that's super fun. I, I can appreciate that. Um, but I don't think you ever think like, oh, I'll go out for dinner with this person and, and then to a movie. And there's a potential in there that we might start a huge fight. <laughs> because, I hadn't thought of that. Because I think about... I think, you know, we recorded not too long ago about someone who came in, a young man, about soul Mm. contracts and how difficult that session was because the contracts weren't nice. Mm -hmm. He was one of the people that was meant to challenge his parents in their bad behaviors. Right. And while they, you know, this mother and daughter might really get along and really enjoy each other's company, there's still always the potential to hear about a contract that is going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And And that's why I say I think it's very bold. I think it's very brave. Um, or courageous, um, because it's it's also saying we're going to deal with whatever it is that comes. Yeah, I, I and some people don't. Some people come and if they don't like their information, they are pissed. Mm-hmm. They discredit us. They they do all kinds of things just because maybe they don't like what their contract is. Yeah, that's all very true. And and, you know, and all that to say, it's it, kudos to Mary and Georgina. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I agree with you that it's a brave thing to do. So I'm going to step into it because um, it was Georgina that brought it up. They had talked about it prior. They had talked about their relationship and that they felt comfortable with it. They said that they had even um, gone over some of the things that could be rough. And that had presented for them an opportunity um, for apologies. So at the beginning of the session, when they said that, uh, we had a little chat about it. And I said, are you prepared? Like this could be a rough go. And they said, yeah, yeah. But we've, we've kind of worked through some things. Like my mom has sat down and said to me some things about childhood and, I, and, and apologized. And I said, holy shit, that, that takes a lot. That takes a lot about the relationship that you've worked hard to build to be able to go back and dig up the mistakes. Um, and also the relationship with yourself, if you're actually dealing with your own humility mm-hmm. and potential feelings of humiliation and shame. Well, <laughs> I can put up my hand and say I've done that. Oh, I know. I, I, I have absolutely sat in my own humility mm-hmm. to be able to say to you and Andrew, I felt this way. I did these things. These were mistakes. I, These are regrettable. Do you remember? I can't remember if it was 20, it must have been 2017 or 18. I was doing a self development book a month, and it was either reading or rereading some of the books that we talk about mm-hmm. all the time. And um, the first one that I posted was Toxic Parents. Mm-hmm. And I said in my post, my mom handed this book to me and said, you're welcome, but also when you get to certain parts, come to me so I can give you your apology. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some people who didn't read the post and just saw the picture um, can make some really big assumptions and think like, wow, like she's really going after, you know, attacking or blaming her parents. And it's like, no, Mm-mm. my parent handed me that book and said, understand. Oh, yeah. Learn. Mm-hmm. I understood I had been toxic when I read the book. I didn't read it thinking about my mother. Well, I did think about my mother when I read it once, 
But I read it a second time to think about myself as a mother and the things that that were toxic about me, that were toxic about my relationship, my marriage, things that were toxic about my career and my friendships so that I could then see that I that in the in all of that how it was playing out in the way that I was parenting and maybe avoiding parenting or avoiding something in some truths in the relationships around me and in within myself man that was a lot to swallow mm. it was a lot to think about a lot to process um but a, when you go through that and you you sit and you feel it you feel shame mm-hmm. But then I also remembered thinking, being in my shame, um, why did I think this way then? Well, that's, what? I think that's interesting all, all on its own because mm-hmm. I think there are so many people who, when they feel shame, they instantly switch over to anger. So in the discomfort of shame, they can't afford to feel it, right? So mm. if they don't have the tools or they don't have a safety in any kind of relationship right. or security that they'll be loved even when they're feeling shame, they switch right into anger and they can't actually afford to have humility. Wow. Okay. That that did not dawn on me, but I appreciate hearing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I, exceptional. Okay. So... So I just remembered thinking, well, how did I get here? What did I believe to get here? Mm -hmm. And that's when a lot of the books that I was reading, you know, we can go through our list of authors, but a lot of people already know them, um, that I sat there and read Toxic Parents um, by Susan Forward and thought, these explanations are apropos for me. They completely make sense. And I'm going to be kind to myself because not that I felt victimized by others, but I came to an understanding of why I thought that way. Mm -hmm. So it had to do with whether, you know, it was a church that taught us to believe something, whether it was movies, TV shows, friendships, other couples, um, school systems, parenting, Mm -hmm. all of these different things, books I had read off other authors that had written stupid things. Some people think just because somebody's an author that they're that they're a professional. And oh, some people not remember the ridiculous asshole that was super Christian and wrote about how you're supposed to beat your children senselessly. Mm. Holy shit! He had a whole book on how to literally torture children but oh. because he was Christian. There was like a whole following that thought, "Oh, this is Jesus's way." Oh my God! Well, there it is. So the comment of that just because somebody is a professional doesn't always make them ethical. That because somebody is writing a book, it doesn't make them write about everything. So, question what we say. Absolutely, yes. So, so anyway, getting back to the to Mary and Georgina, we got into their session and after we actually had a little bit of a discussion at the beginning of it as to how they got there and some of the processes that they went through. They asked for what the soul contract was. And I replied back because the spirit world was just so clear on this and so simple to say it, that their contract had a lot to do with emotional growth. It had a lot to do with sharing it with each other. It had to do with a love of reading a love of research, a love of um, being open-minded 
instead of thinking, well, if I've read a book and this person says this, it must be this way. If a church says this, it must be this way. So the mom was raised that way. Mary was raised that way. But the contract was to be able to break that and say, well, a church may say a certain thing, but there are all kinds of churches and religions. Maybe I should be curious about what some of the other ones say. Because maybe they all think they're right and they all exclude each other, or perhaps that isn't the answer, and I could research a lot of them. So she researched Buddhism and Islamic, and she researched all kinds. And I don't mean because she's a professor. I don't mean because she did it to teach, or that she's a teacher, or that she got paid because that was a job. I mean because she felt that that was her responsibility. Cool. Um, I also identified with that because I did a lot of that. So it was fun to hear her, Mary's process because it mirrored mine quite a bit. Anyway, well, back to hers. Um, part of the other thing was that in doing that, she was going to be able to have all of these books around, all of these conversations, the out loud wondering of what these other, not just religions, Beliefs. I'm going to say non-religions, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, beliefs or other people just coming out of a, of a belief system, people who, who left a church, she started to become really enamored with what do they go through? What do they learn? What do they do? What did they discover about these organizations and structured systems? And I'll say businesses, because religions can also be seen as businesses that function. Mm-hmm. And some of them are hierarchies. So then she thought, okay, I'm going to start looking at them from different lenses. Well, this encouraged her daughter uh, to do it. I mean, they just had the conversations. They started to share the same books. And the contract was that the daughter was the one that would go in and educate herself and actually get a career in this area. So it has to do with her own livelihood in her own life, her own career, her own love of it. The mom, I'll say instigated it, or maybe initiated it to some degree, planted a seed. But it really was about the daughter's growth and why she liked it, the qualities that she had that were the same as her mom's, like curiosity, openness, um, a willingness not to judge without facts and intuitiveness and common sense. So they, and and both women were like, yes. And I thought, oh, I hit on something. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those are the three things that we run our lives by. We talk about the the three golden rule. And I thought that was absolutely adorable Mm -hmm. to go back in any aspect of your life and think those three things. I think that's beautiful. That's part of the soul contract was to develop that way of thinking, that way of feeling, and to be able to include all the aspects of who we are as humans in their experience. And then to be able to have each other as a support system and to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable to it. And again, right there, Kelly, those two aspects of being able to hold each other accountable and being able to share it. What a gorgeous contract. Mm -hmm. 
I'm pausing there for people. I'm pausing so that maybe they can sit there and go, do I have that person? Do I have somebody that holds me accountable? Or do I, is there no one that does in my life? Do I not let anybody? Yeah. And, and do if, I not even let myself, do I not even hold myself accountable? Is that a great big zero? I think too, if you're just tuning in or perhaps if this is your first episode and introduction to all of this, go back and listen to some of the podcasts on the universal laws mm. because accountability is not a face value kind of thing. Right. Accountability is not someone saying, you know, you said you'd be here for nine o'clock for recording and you're not here. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of other things involved in accountability that factor in other universal laws because flexibility comes into that. And accountability right. might be, and I'm using our exact situation, you know, you're not here when you said you were going to be. Do you actually need to take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. And you're holding me accountable now to making sure I do that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, like I said, it's not just face value. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. my ring there. Okay, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And like, I bring that up because when you're talking about soul contracts, they're really messy, no matter how beautiful they are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to, like these two are doing, do your research. You know, so you're, if you're asking yourself, do I have someone who holds me accountable? Um, they also need to make sure, or you need to make sure that they're not doing it with shame. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it to be mean or hold something over you or control you. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes to the next point in the contract between the two of them. It was, well, honesty. And that they were going to give each other the right emotions and the right atmosphere, the right environment to feel safe, to be honest with each other. You got to work at that. Every day, all day. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it gets easier in the sense of it becomes more second nature, but you still work. Yeah. And I, I, th I hope that people listening to this, again can take the pause, take a moment, hit the, hit the pause button and say, do I actually have a relationship where I feel safe enough to be honest? Mm -hmm. And yeah, wow, I do. I do with my daughter. I do with my husband. I do with my, you know, all these different people, got a coworker, got a friend group, then you are doing so well. And if you sit there and go, I don't, then. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are doing so well, but so are the people in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't, mm -hmm. it may not just be about you. Yes. It, and in fact, it can't just be about you. That's right. This is a two-way uh, street. Yeah. All I'm going to say about if you don't is that you might enjoy those podcast shows on universal laws. You might enjoy the ones on Sips of Sanity. It's why we encourage people to share them with another person. Because it allows you then to get the tools to begin doing some of those things. Mm -hmm. I, I know I've said this before, and sometimes I feel like I'm saying it for you as much as I am the audience. Sips of Sanity is not something that you can just share because you do have to be a part of our Patreon um, membership. Mm -hmm. So please don't feel like you're doing something wrong if you're on the portal and trying to share it. Mm. Um, it's, it's not shareable. But it's something that you can share in terms of information mm -hmm. um, and say, you know, I think you need this or I think you might really like it. Okay. Yeah, I think it's important because a lot of people yeah. have had difficulty just finding us. Okay. I'm going to go on to the next story. I know I'm leaving that abruptly, but 
I pulled certain things out of it um, because it all related to friendship. And for the two of them, in a process of first parenting and then becoming friends, they can mix the two hats. They can pick and choose when they want to wear each one, which I think is a beautiful thing to be able to do. And I know for certain that there are many people that would just sit back, gulp their coffee or their tea and go, ha, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, no. And, and we've talked about this before. I don't think you think about having a baby and then think, oh, you know, they might grow up to not like me someday. Mm-hmm. Or I may not like my children. Mm-hmm. I might not like who they become. Well, boy, if you go back to that book that you talked about, about how to torture your children, then... I would say that that person certainly doesn't ever expect the day that their children can hold them accountable in a court, can hold them accountable as humans, right? It's not where I thought you were going, but yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because then you see, it's just like, anyway, we could go on and on about that. Let's, Let's go to our second story about soul contracts and friends. This one is a young woman that comes in, Inga. And she wanted to know what her soul contract was with a gentleman named Ed. That's all I got. And out comes this story. And I asked her just to verify if it's all factual. And I said, first of all, Ed is your age. And he's not related to you. And she goes, yeah. And I said, so what I'm feeling is that you want to feel in love with Ed. And she goes, no, I am in love with Ed. I don't want to feel it. (laughs) And I went, I'm going to continue (laughs) because I I still may be on the right track. (laughs) So she's shutting it down. Like you're you're totally wrong right there. And she sits back in her chair and, and takes the pillow, puts it across her knees, holds on to it, hugs it tight, crosses her leg over. Um, and uh, she just she had her moment and I thought, okay. A tantrum. <laughs> yeah. I'm not calling a moment. <laughs> and I thought, thank you. And I thought, okay, God has the spirit guides. And they're like, No, no, you continue. So I said, I asked her for permission, if I could keep going to see if this was good. Yeah, she says, go ahead. But it's like, she's ready just to hang me out to dry at this point. In there. She's not going to give me anything. And I thought, well, we'll see what the guides do with it. So I said to her, well, I said, you're attracted to Ed. And I said, so you firmly believe that you're in love with him and that this is your soulmate. This is your quote unquote twin flame. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to continue. And I said... So there'll be another tantrum then. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, but I said, in the soul contract, and I specifically worded it this way. I said, you're asking quiet, like in your head, what the contract is with Ed, because you believe that he's to marry you, that he's going to be the father of your children. You are 100% sure of this. He just doesn't see it. But once you're done with convincing him, he's going to get this. Fall in line and do this. And I said, but the contract is friendship. And I said, and you can see her shoulders just go from here to just like from to here, like a quarter of an inch. She doesn't want to give anything to this as accurate, but there's a slight sign there for me that maybe. And I said, as far as I can see, Ed has made it extremely clear to you that you are his friend. 
when you try to make it into you're a couple or that you need each other or that you're there for him all the time. You run to do his beckoning. He's annoyed. He catches you in the people pleasing. He catches you in the traps. He pulls away. And it's what you would refer to as ghosting you. So you're here actually to find out the soul contract because he ghosts you. And then he comes back after a while and he gets back into the relationship a little bit to see if things are okay, if you're a little bit better, but then you believe that he's back because he's, he's seeing it and you, you just have to wait for him to finally just really get it that you're his person. And she says to me, well, um, that's all true about ghosting me that, that there's, there's some truth in that he does do this. He does do that. And then she says to me, well, does he find me attractive? Does he like, does he want me sexually? Oh, honey, you're not listening. And I think this is important here for people to hear what happened in, in this particular soul contract reading, because she is in full belief of her reality. And to come and ask someone like us, what the soul contract is, again, required, I'll say, some level of courage, mm -hmm. but at the same time, not, because she had no intention of believing it. If it wasn't what she wanted to hear. That's right. But she worded it in such a way, and the guides gave a message in such a way that she got pushed into a corner. So then she would say, well, does he find me attractive sexually? And I said things to her like, no, and he makes that obvious to you. He will actually say to you, she's hot. He will actually say to you, not out of meanness, but because he thinks you're his friend and he's treating you like a friend, mm -hmm. he actually tells you when he's attracted to another person. And I said, and he's attracted to other women because of their qualities, not because she's tall, because she's got blue eyes, brown hair, this, that, she dresses this way, she's a lawyer, blah, she's got a job. No, he talks about the qualities of the person he's attracted to. And that goes right over your head. And she goes, well, I don't know what you mean, it goes over my head. And I said, well, they're not your qualities. He's pointing out that these women have qualities you don't have. And she just sort of sat there. And you can still see where she's still holding everything in and controlling. And I said, he is not interested in a controlling woman. He's interested in somebody who's a partner. And she goes, well, then what the hell is he even my friend for? Yeah. So I was right about the second tantrum. Uh, yeah. And that's too bad. It is. But we got to a place. Well, I, I'm going to finish that. So I said, well, he's your friend because in the contract, you're actually to teach him everything in a woman he doesn't want. And you've done a great job. <laughs> and she just looked at me like I really... You know, people are going to hear me often say, and then I reached for my fob key for my alarm system because I was afraid she might punch Strangle me in the face. <laughs> and, you know, maybe, maybe people in the audience or people listening. Like, are they advertising for True Steel? <laughs> yes. Nope. If they want to sponsor, it's clear who they're going to ask. <laughs> Just scared. 
are you a medium and afraid for your life? (laughs) Anyway, I want to finish this one because she did. She had a total meltdown. This was a full-blown cry out. This was a Karen put her hands down, drop my shoulders, take my page, put it down on the ground, sit and let her do what she needed to do. Because in that moment, she was working. In that moment, she was in a full-blown, who am I? Oh, it's processing. It's, it, it was just a ton of things. Mm-hmm. And so my entire intention was to be there without judgment, to love her, to be a witness, to um, just actually just give her the energy for healing. Because mm, it's pain that she's experiencing. That's and right. I, I like that you said that she got backed into a corner. And I wanted to point out that mm-hmm. that can sound really abrasive to someone who doesn't understand potentially what you meant. Mm-hmm. And the way... I see or interpret that is she got backed into a corner for an adult timeout yeah. because of the temper tantrums, because like you said, she was buying into a belief about her own reality that wasn't real. And so when you're sat down in a timeout, you do have to process things. And so it is possible to have the meltdown because you are in, in you're in a spot of safety. And what you did with non-judgment and simply in your body language as well, you you do it so well, is that you just sat to be present for her. And if she is grasping at these straws, thinking that she's in love with him and feeling that she's supposed to wait until he gets it, then she's been really alone for a really long time. And in this moment of another tantrum, it's a different kind of processing and she isn't alone. And so we, we had, I'll say, a good five minutes. And if anybody listening to this is thinking, five minutes, how long was her session? It was one hour. And we had, I would say, the first 25 minutes, close to a half hour, um, or, or maybe just like right at that point, of coming to all of this with her. And then we had a good five minutes of silence, where like you said, she processed, she cried, she moved around in her chair, she was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There were times where I would just gaze out the window and look outside at the snow falling. And she would follow my gaze, like, what is she looking at? And she would just see the snow falling. And she would look back at my face and then look back at the snow again and realize, oh, she doesn't think I'm an idiot. Oh, she doesn't think like it was just so peaceful. Well, there was space for her to just be, and and probably for the first time in a long time or even forever, nothing's being forced. She -hmm. doesn't have to force anything either, which is what she's been doing. And I said to her, I said, "I'm, I'm going to stay silent until you tell me that we can initiate the session again. And we did. We stayed silent for a little while longer. And... I think it was some of the best moments I've ever spent with a client. I really, really valued her. And we just sat. And then I'd say after maybe seven, eight minutes, um, she said, um, so he doesn't love me, right? And I just really took time to answer her. And I said, no. And she said, but it's but it's because I'm not who, I'm just not me. And I said, that's right. Can we go there now? 
And so a whole other session, so to speak, went around her questions around, how do I know who I am then? The entire session changed. And I would say that that is called golden moments, where we really value something. We value silence. We value each other's energy. And the rest of her session moved. And that's all I'll say about that one. Because well, can I, can yeah. I go back? I, and yeah. I mean, tell me if I'm going back too much. Um, I think for some people, they might sit there and think like, she paid, she paid for five minutes of silence? Like, no. And when, mm-hmm. you, when you say, you know, we valued silence, I think a lot of people can't wrap their heads around that. And mm-hmm. the reason I wanted to go back to this is because it is so important. Because you're talking specifically about someone who doesn't know who she is, mm-hmm. rushes to be at his beck and call, mm-hmm. and literally rushes her own self. Mm-hmm. And so in a moment or seven minutes of silence, she actually was given the opportunity to say, you tell me when you're ready to move forward. So she had to assess her own need. Mm-hmm. She had to assess her own readiness. She had to actually ask for what she needed herself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. And I think that's worth pointing out because a lot of us, like we said in the first one, mm-hmm. we aren't given that in our relationships where someone says, I'm not going to rush you. Mm-hmm. They rush us maybe out of their own discomfort, their own timeline, their own mm-hmm. needs. And if we aren't assessing our own, how do we then ask for it? Mm-hmm. And that was their contract. So we, at, like, at, like in the last maybe five minutes... She asked more questions about what the actual contract looked like in words so that we could go over it and I could say, he was your waker upper. He was the egg cracker. And she's like, what egg cracker? I said, well, if you want to consider yourself in an egg in your own reality, he was there to come along and keep cracking it until you got it. And she goes, if I hadn't come to see you, I wouldn't have got it. You might not still. Exactly. It's still more work. That's right. She may, and I said that to her, I said, well, you may understand it here in this room with me. And you may feel that you're strong enough here to come outside now, to, to, to start birthing yourself, to start coming out of that egg and going, okay, okay, I need to figure out who I am instead of just thinking I got to get that guy. You might have to take a year, you might have to take 10 years to figure that out. And she went 10 years. Like, Karen, I'm older. Like, I'm 25. I have, like, I don't have. Yeah, she goes, I don't have time to waste to do that. I can't be old to find my partner. Yeah. And, and, and I, and you and I hear that constantly. Oh, yeah, it's a belief system. Right. And I said, and that's exactly what I said to her. I said, well, if that's the belief you have, then that will be your motivation into the next relationship. To again, come outside of yourself. Yes. Not in a good way. That's right. And she went, oh, shit. And I said, yeah, so you have to look at some of the beliefs that you have so that you can change it to a healthier belief. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's an unhealthy one. And that's why you're trying to force somebody who isn't even remotely interested in you in being your partner and why you're fixated on it Mm -hmm. or obsessed about it. And I said, so the friendship, quote unquote, is just friendship. It's for you to learn those things. Those are the lessons in the friendship. 
And the last question she said was, in the contract, is he to be my friend for the rest of my life? And I said, well, when I read it, there are two options. And I said, one option is that, no, he isn't, that you're able to not ghost him, but maturely walk away. And she goes, what is that? And I said, you mean like that you don't understand what ghosting is or or maturely walking away? And she started laughing. She goes, well, no, I know what ghosting is. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's a funny story because I'm the one that didn't know what ghosting was. And I had to ask Kelly. (laughs) I'm the one that got maturely walking away. I think that's the better of the two. (laughs) So I said, I said, as luck would have it, I understand maturely walking out of a relationship. So let's talk about that one. We did. So she now has an option as to how to approach him and be able to end the friendship if she wants to, Mm -hmm. so that she can figure out herself and get healthy. Mm -hmm. She may do it and she may not. We don't know. Good? Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, I loved her story. Mm -hmm. The next story actually goes to medium, so it's not soul contracts. So the first two were soul contracts in terms of friendships. The third story I have today has to do with a guy named Nate and he comes in for a session and he asks me what I get around a friend of his named Brittany. And Brit, well, I didn't even know it was medium. I'm introducing it that way, but actually he just said, what do you get about my friend Brittany? And I said, are you looking for a soul contract? And he asked me to explain that. So I did. He said, yeah, that sounds good. I'd like some questions answered. And I said, oh, are you going to ask them? No. <laughs> he Let's says, see how mature this will be. <laughs> yeah. He said, no. He said, I'm going to let you go. And if you don't answer my questions in five minutes, then I'll ask you questions. Great. And I said, okay. I said, uh, I'll do my best. And um, Brittany came in and said to me, um, I'm dead. And I'm like, oh, this is medium. He didn't tell me it was medium. (laughs) So I said, well, first of all, I said the first message I'm getting is that Brittany has passed. She says she's around 18 years old. She's just coming out of high school. And he goes, yeah, that's that's correct. And I said, "Um, it's also correct that she passed, like they're both? And he goes, yep. And I said, "Uh, Brittany, how did you die? 18 years old. Like, what happened? And she goes, I was sick. For anyone listening, you didn't accidentally just hit the fast forward button. She's actually talking this fast. Oh, I didn't notice. Thank you. I'll slow down. Holy fuck. What's happening? Okay. Maybe it's Brittany. I don't know. Maybe. So Brittany tells me that she was sick before she passed, that she had brown hair, brown eyes, that she was around five, six, which would put her at tall (laughs) for me. Because I'm 5'2". That's tall for a woman for me. So I asked him all that. He gives the yes answer. And then she, I said, what kind of sickness, Brittany? And she says, well, Karen, she says, um, I, I don't need to really go into it. That's not what's important for him. But you can say things like that I stayed home, that I wasn't hospitalized, that I had end-of-life care in my own home with, with my mom, I think it was, and a dad um, is alive but isn't around, and that she had had two stepfathers. Um, and currently one that she lived with, another one, well, obviously not lived or is not living with currently, um, or when she died rather, and that um, they were friends. 
but that he had ghosted her before she was diagnosed and that he got all caught up in drama at high school, that he got all caught up in gossip and just wanting to create a drama to have something to talk about each day and to be able to talk about somebody. And that he and a friend, a a girl, another girl, call her Lisa, and Brittany had been friends. And Lisa and Nate decided that they were going to ghost her and not be nice to her. And I'll say as a way to be spiteful and hurtful, there wasn't really a good reason. Other than maybe things like jealousy and boredom and I like are just creating drama. That's what she said. She goes, as far as I could see, Karen, even when I died, this is what Brittany's telling me, there was no good reason. And I thought, oh, so I explained all of this and he just put his head down and you could see Kelly, shame, complete shame. And then Brittany says to me, okay, quick, you got to say a couple of things. And I'm like, okay, tell me he's in therapy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, Nate, is it accurate? You're in therapy. And he goes, I am. And he still got like, won't look at me, kind of has his eyes down a little bit of the head. And she says, he's in therapy because he ghosted me. And because of his behavior, he can't get past shame. It's destroying him. Hmm. And I said, okay, what do I do, Brittany? And she goes, I want him to know, get over it. I love him. I understand what he did, but he's still my friend. And I don't care that he didn't come to see me when I was dying. And I said, how long did you go through your dying process? And she goes, close to a year. So he had plenty of time to get his shit together and go. He did not. He had plenty of time in that year to get a therapist to figure it out and go see her before she passed. He did not. He took his action after she passed. And I said, Brittany, did he even go to the funeral? Did he go to service or anything? And she goes, no, he didn't. But he's creating his own service for me. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. So I gave him all of that information and his head goes from being dropped to snapping straight up and looking at me and from looking completely shamed to total happiness. And I said, sweetheart, I said, Nate, Brittany, she's like, she's a keeper. This is a friend you should, you should want around. And he goes, what? She's dead. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean you can't keep her. That doesn't mean that she's gone. That just means that she's changed physical forms. Research some quantum physics. (laughs) Figure out that through quantum physics, you can understand that our forms change but that our bodies change forms as well, even as, as in the human form. And I said, and then research a little bit more so that you can understand she's just in pure energy, but that doesn't mean she's not around you and that you can still create a relationship with her. And he goes like, do you do that? And I said, yes. A little bit. And he goes, okay. So we went from being totally shamed mm-hmm to moving out of shame and wanting a toolkit. He booked one hour. And I, again, I can't stress how much can get done in one hour of someone's life when you're with the right person doing the right things with integrity. So he sat there, he asked lots of questions. 
she gave her answers. He said, well, I don't understand why she forgives me. And she goes, because there really is not a lot here, Nate. I look at the quality of our friendship for the 10 years before that shit happened. And I focus on that. You focus on one particular thing that you guys did and the meanness after that for about a year. I'm not focusing on that year. You are. When you change your focus, we're both going to be better people. And I thought, wow, what a way to assess something. Mm. That you focused on the wrong amount of time or the or an action. And she's giving him an opportunity to focus again. So she says to me, could you write down on his paper, please, that I forgive him and that I I know what happened. I know how they made fun of me. I know everything. So I wrote it down and then I read it to him. And he sat there and again, this time instead of putting his head down, he kept his head up, but he cried. But he kept his head up and cried. And he said, I am so sorry. And I said, she hears you. She knows you're sorry. She sees you crying. She understands it. And as long as you really, truly believe she sees it, she understands it. She sees that the tears are not fake and full of drama, but that they're sincere. If you truly believe that, you are ready to go forward with her. She's asking you for a chance at a friendship again. Mm -hmm. And he went, what? And I said, she's asking you for a chance at friendship again. If you're ready, she's ready. She got ready. You need to do your work to get ready. Isn't that a great friendship? Mm -hmm. So I have a fourth story. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. By the way, you look beautiful. Oh, thank you. Someone's going to look at this and be like, they don't even look the same. (laughs) And no, we don't. (laughs) We recorded this on two different days. (laughs) Thanks. It's how it goes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the fourth story um, has to do with a client that came to see me. His name is Leo. And I put him in his 40s, but roughly speaking. And um, he just came in and sat down. And after we went through consent, I asked him what he wanted, if he had boundaries, you know, what the intention was. And he seemed, I'll say pretty loose, not like indirect. And then finally, after working through to see if he actually had an intention, he said, "Um, I I think I'd like just to know what you might have to say about a guy named Bill. And I think, I think I know I might. Yeah. About something very specific. And this is, you know, this, you know, where this is going. So he was very general. I it was like gel, trying to nail jello to a tree. Mm-hmm. It just was not going to happen. So eventually he says, well, just what do you get about a guy named Bill like this? And so I thought, okay, I'll give that a try. At least I've got something. And so Bill comes into the room and he goes, hi, Karen, I'm dead. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's a start. So I'm in medium. Thank you. Because we get people who are alive and crossed over. So that's always the first message. Mm-hmm. And I like how the spirit guides oblige us by doing that. So I asked him if Bill was passed, correct? And I said, "Um, Bill, does it matter like how you died? Are we doing cause of death? Is he trying to figure out or reconcile a death situation? No. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, what's, what's he here about? He goes, well, first he wants proof. And I said, oh, okay. I said, like, okay, what do, what do you want to tell me? What's of interest? And he says, well, he says, we are work buddies. He says, um, this was not a childhood friendship or um, through family or neighborhood or anything like that. We were co-workers and became good friends. I said, oh, okay. Where did you work? And he goes, well, he goes, we worked in a mine. And he says, but you can say mining industry. He says, say industry, because we didn't both work in a mine. We worked in the industry. So I said, okay. So I offered those two pieces of information, and Leo confirms that. So he's like kind of giving me the, how the hell do you know? I continued, and I said, Bill, what else do you want to say to him? And he said, well, he said, we, we were buddies for about 15 years before I passed. And I said, were you friends when you? when you passed? And he goes, yes. So I offered that as well to Leo. And he said that was correct. And I said, so do you mind telling me what Leo's looking for? Is there is there like, is there gold in the bucket somewhere that I'm supposed to find? And he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll explain it to you. He says, um, he came here to find out if I was having an affair with his wife. Aww. Yeah, I felt really sad. Mm-hmm. I, I thought we were Anyway, it's not about me <laughs> thinking we were building to something lovely. And I said, um, okay, what do I do with that? Like, do you have, is it going to be an answer or a no answer? What's your response? And I think it's important for people to hear it's not my choice. Mm-hmm. And that I want to tell certain people, but I don't want to tell others because I've judged them or because I like them, or I think they're cute, or anything that is absolutely ridiculous. So I said to, to Bill, what do you want to do with this? And he goes, oh, we're going to tell him. I absolutely had an affair with his wife for years. And I said, okay, go on and tell me as much as you can, so that when I give this, I can say everything that he needs instead of in pieces. And making him ask questions because he didn't even want to bring this up at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And now I'm understanding why. He's, he wasn't reluctant and just wanting to test to be a dick. He, he, was, he was testing because he was scared. He didn't want to get to the point because he's afraid of the answer. And so Bill says, well, Karen, he has suspected it. He has asked his wife, Lori, over and over again, over the years, if she and I were having an affair, and she has always denied it, and then turned it around on him and accused him. And I'm like, oh, she's gaslit the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just for um, newbies sake, we've changed names. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, we don't always say that, but we usually will say this person gave me permission to say their name if that was the case. Otherwise, right. just assume we've changed it. The, absolutely. I, you're just, right. Because if, if you're a client listening and you're like, holy fuck, they just outed an affair on a podcast. No, we didn't. No. No, I, we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Things have to be changed mm-hmm. in order to protect the person unless they say, here's permission, and we start it that way. Well, and we would have needed everyone's permission in that, in that case. Absolutely. Because that can affect Bill's family. 
Everyone. There's there's integrity that can be compromised in every every corner. And in their job situations and in family situations, friendship groups. And it is never our intention in doing the podcast shows to have that kind of an effect mm-hmm. unless the client has agreed and has thought that through and is prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, Bill explains that um, Lori has been vicious about it and has accused him of not trusting her when he didn't have a reason to trust her. And his suspicions and his intuitiveness was correct. So she played with that and um, beat it. I'll just say totally abused his intuitiveness. Mm -hmm. So that even when he went to work, he didn't trust it. He lost confidence. He lost confidence in his friendships. He, He would even... Like I said, did he ever question you, Bill? And he goes, no, he never questioned me. We work together. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? (laughs) And he goes, well, he couldn't really question me. I was a superior. I was a boss, not his boss, but I was a boss. Mm -hmm. So for him to approach me and if I had denied it as well, it would have put him in jeopardy of losing his job. We'll talk about screwing somebody over every which way. Yeah. And making Leo feel like he's absolutely crazy, but doesn't really feel like he has any power. So Bill says, I'd like to explain this to him because he still works there. I'd like to explain this to him because nobody else at work knew this, as far as Bill knew. And he says, but there were some people in friend groups that knew it but they weren't co-workers. And he says, so he can actually have this affirmed by a particular friend if he says that he's been to a medium and he was already told. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because Leo has friends that know about it and just think, that's not my problem. That's not my shit. I'm not getting involved. I don't want it to be my word against her word. They don't want to get involved and have and be kicked out of the friend group. Mm-hmm. So well, especially if she's behaving this badly already. Right. So she's not just bullying her spouse. She's bullying people in the friend group. And and I I like it. I like to word it that way mm-hmm. because people might be listening to this and think, "What?" And this was a show about friendship. Yeah. It this is a show about friendship. And yet we're seeing that some friendships are healthy and we're seeing some are just full of abuse and control. And Leo's way to come out of all of this is to seek somebody like you and I that can sit and validate things for him so that he can get enough information that we know we wouldn't have known about him Mm -hmm. other than connecting to the spirit world to be able to validate it. And he, Bill says to me, and that's kind of a funny thing, Karen, because he refers to himself as science-minded and that he only believes in the facts. And I said, oh, is that why he's stuck in the, in the relationship with Lori and he won't leave because he won't trust his own intuitiveness? And he goes, yeah, so he's created his own mental trap. And Lori knows it. So she uses his beliefs and the trap he's put himself into in those beliefs to control him. And I think 
that's an interesting thing for people to hear Mm -hmm. because while they might go, wow, what a bitch, there are many people that have done that with the trap of religion. They've done that in a trap with friend groups, work environments, and family units. There are more than one ways to set a trap because we have different beliefs about our social systems, our religious systems, financial. We have, we do create our own traps. And once a partner, an unhealthy partner, knows our unhealthy traps, they can use that against us. Mm -hmm. So if we do not know our own belief systems and the ones that have entrapped us, We're just at mercy of someone. That's right. And so Bill says to me, do you think you could tell him all of that? I said, you mean everything about being entrapped in his scientific mind? Yes. Everything about Lori, everything about me. And and he says, and I do want to apologize, but I do want to explain all of it to him. And I want him to know that it comes from me. Because we are the ones that would sit together and talk about science things. We would talk about proof and facts. We would have sat down and made fun of Lori going to see a psychic. We would have bullied her about it. And I thought, wow, this is super interesting and super messed. As far as I can see, because it's just, you know me, I call that a clusterfuck. But it's what happens once you get trapped in one mess and how it's so easy then for several messes to develop Mm -hmm. and for many people then to participate in it and to think nothing of hurting you. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. It's like, oh, well then. And and then there's this attitude of, "Hmm, I don't care. There are these attitudes of detachment. And Bill goes, we got to talk about the detachment. So Leo and I spent an hour talking about all of this in detail and letting Bill come in to explain things and to say, hey, dude, we detached. We made fun of Lori going to see a psychic and going to see these people who read cards or do this or do that, all of these different things. We made fun of her. But then she turned around and she would make fun or do something hurtful to us, to you, to me. Like, what a vicious, vicious triangle. And I say triangle, but of course, Kelly, that it's never just a triangle. Because, you know, I haven't said that there are children involved for Bill. There are children involved for Leo and Lori. There are co-workers involved. There are friends involved. There are There's family involved. Some people in the family knew that she was having an affair, but didn't speak up. And when he, when he said things like, I, I feel like something is going on, they did not volunteer because he didn't ask directly and say, is it Bill? The people who knew in the family said nothing. And that's, this is an uncomfortable way to describe a friendship show, but I think it's, um, I think it's a valid one. I think it's relevant. Yeah. To a lot of people. Yeah. And and this one only gets, I'll say, to some level sorted out because Leo actually feels so trapped by his beliefs 
that he finally steps out of one belief, the very one he makes fun of Lori for, or one of the ones, and goes right into this world to say, what could I learn if I went and asked someone? Mm -hmm. So he can then go back to Lori and say, well, I went to see a medium and she told me you are having an affair. And now she has to try and stand there and say, well, what would you believe her for? (laughs) And he gets to say, in fact, Lori, why would I? You've been going for decades. You tell me, why would I? Mm -hmm. So it's finally going to come to, I'll say a full circle. And we talked about that. We actually talked about that exact conversation. And I said to him, so Bill is encouraging you to step up and have the conversation that you finally did what what she has believed all along. And I said, so do you want to know if Lori has been going to see psychics to ask them if you know? And if you are actually going to go to a psychic, if you're going to find out? And he goes, I can ask that? Oh my God, we have so many people that sit in our chair and say, is my wife or my husband having an affair? Yes. Or have they? And and I've also had people come in and say, and does my partner go to a psychic or a medium yeah. or has come here to see you and has asked you? And I'm like, I would have no idea. I don't, we don't have files or records, but they still want, they want to know everything at that point. It's like, I, I need full disclosure of everything, if I'm going to start taking care of myself, if I'm going to start valuing honesty. And I think that is something to be said today. So I said to Leo, are you here for honesty? Is that, is that exactly really what you're looking for? Yes. And I said, so you actually trust me to be the honest person in this whole mess. If you have proof... So it's like, I could, I think I could get there, but you're, but you had to give me the proof. And that's why Bill started off the session with, we were coworker friends. I was in the boss group and that I had to give those types of validations because then it got him there. Mm -hmm. It got Leo there. And I think, wow, what does it take to get us to a place of being willing to listen to our own intuition or to give it more value? Well, risk reward. Mm-hmm. What do I stand to gain? What do I stand to lose? Mm-hmm. And usually it's what do I stand to lose? You talk about that frequently in life coaching mm-hmm. as a life coach. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say that many, many times. That's what change is, right? We don't, we don't do change unless we've done a risk reward assessment. Consciously or subconsciously. No, you're right. I, I was just thinking of my own personal experiences when you said that. And, yeah, and that and is actually what motivated me was when I got to the place of what my risk and what my reward would be. Yeah. And if it would be that I risked losing stability or financial or security, but I was willing to risk being loved again or loving myself or discovering myself, was that worth the risk, me? versus staying in something, whether it was the job or a friendship or whatever it was, right? And, and, and if you value who you are, then you take the leap. And a lot of people don't know what they value consciously. Right. Well, it's very hard to value yourself then when you are in that position because you've spent decades or maybe a whole lifetime being told that valuing yourself is selfish, Yeah. And you can discuss that in a lot of different ways because there are people who think they do value themselves, but when it comes down to it, what they in fact value is status. 
Okay. And so the risk then becomes losing their status if they separate from this person or separate from someone if that means the status is marriage or the status is a couple in order to be a part of a, a friendship group of couples mm-hmm. um, or the partner's title, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's And that's why I say if you don't know what you actually value, then the risk reward assessment is potentially very skewed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And people can believe that they value themselves and talk it, um, because they get their nails done or they get their hair done. I talk about that type of person that's just getting things done, but don't actually value their connections or being respected or being loved mm-hmm. or being in love. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like the, uh, for sure, there are people who are very honest about the fact that they value status and power mm-hmm. and the fact that they are married suits them and that they know that if they were cheated on, they would stay mm-hmm. because those things matter more than monogamy. Those things matter more than respect or integrity. I, I think there are plenty of people who would stand in front of you and be able to admit that. Um, mm-hmm and plenty who aren't willing to admit why they stay and they say, I just, I don't know. But in fact, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it comes out in many of the sessions when we go into the soul contract mm-hmm. and, they, and then the soul contract comes out as to the point of what they're supposed to learn. And that comes right back to what you've just said about who they are and what mm-hmm. they value. And I think someone might listen to that and go, say that again. What? You just said a soul contract was to know what you value and to be authentic in it? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think some people don't understand that that can be a soul contract. Yeah, there are many, many things that a soul contract can be or entail. Mm-hmm. So that was my fourth story about friendships. And I, I to wrap that one up, Bill apologized mm-hmm. to Leo. And he said that he felt terrible regret that it took his dying and come through a medium to be able to be held responsible, to hold himself accountable for what he did. And to know that Leo had suspected it and asked about it and that he knew that um, his wife, Lori, had been lying to him. He knew all of this. Lori had told him all of these things. And he didn't step forward to correct any of that. So he, he apologized for being a fraud because that truly isn't a friendship. That's being a fraud. So my last story is about a fraud friendship. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hope people get something out of that story, whatever it is they need to, whether it has to do with them or that they're participating in helping a fraud get away with it. By just saying, not my problem, not my story, don't want to get involved. And how much we contribute to another person's pain when we behave that way. And I know some people are going to sit back and go, whoa, whoa, get another cup of coffee. Don't freaking care what she says. Shutting that down. Nice three stories at the beginning. Last one, I don't buy. Risk reward. That's right. Because then you're looking at your own, as you say, risk reward. Don't want to make the change. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it will reach one person that if they're asked the next time that they might sit down and say, well, thing is, now that you've asked, here is the answer. Mm -hmm. I think what we're all afraid of is being is um, shooting the messenger. 
You mean for the people in between? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and there's a risk reward in that when you become, or when you're put in a position to know something you don't necessarily want to know. Right. Um, to sit there and think, okay, I could lose this friendship. I could lose yeah. the entire friendship group. Yeah. I could lose my status if they all choose to talk about me and, and shoot the messenger. But can yeah. I sit with this information comfortably? Yeah. You know what, Kelly, I do believe some people would listen to this show and think, you know what, Le- let's leave that to the Karen and Kelly's of the world because they're the mediums that can say when the dude is dead, who cares? I'm staying clean. Right. It does happen. So those are the four stories. Okay. Thank you. Four different different types of friendships, different types of things. And some people might think the last one wasn't even about friendship. But I, I still classify it as a type because there are healthy and unhealthy friendships. Mm-hmm. And I'm a kind of, you got to know both sides in order to be a well-balanced person and be able to make your decisions and know who you are. Cool. We'll call it growth. Okay. So if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at com. Again, if you're just listening uh, by audio today, thank you so much for your mm-hmm. interest. Um, if you are interested or already watching on patreon.com, you're watching the full videos and that's, uh, that's super exciting. Those are accessible at patreon.com slash by Sarlo. If you're interested, we are back next week with a brand new show. Mm-hmm.